to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you first did. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with them an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would prepare our hearts to understand more of your love and gentleness and your holiness. Amen. The story is told of a group of theological students and a cleaner. The students, all very learned and who felt themselves to be deeply spiritual, were allowed by the kindness of the cleaner to use the gym after hours for their games practice. While they practiced, the cleaner would borrow one of their Bibles. As you know, students in theological college always have their Bibles to hand, and he would spend the time reading it. One day, one of the students asked the cleaner, What have you been reading in the Bible? Revelation, the cleaner replied. Yeah, right, said the student. No, really, said the cleaner. Having heard from one of the most respected and learned of the professors that no one really gets revelation, the student asked, And do you understand it? Oh, yes, replied the now smiling cleaner. Chuckling, the student asked with some sarcasm, Well then, tell me what it means. The cleaner looked to his right and then to his left. Then he leaned towards the student and he whispered, It means Jesus is going to win. 
And there we have it, Revelation summed up. But to understand the passage we heard read today, we do need to understand something of the city of Thyatira. Thyatira was the center for the worship of the god Apollo, the god of sunlight. He was thought to be the divine guardian of the city. He was the patron god of many of the city's trade guilds and was regularly honored at all guild functions. The people of Thyatira believed that the Roman emperor was the incarnation of Apollo. Both Apollo and Caesar were acclaimed son of Zeus, or son of the high god. There was another thing about Thyatira which makes this week's letter so relevant to us. It was a prosperous marketing hub in the centre of the Asian empire. It was a place of guilds. These guilds regulated and controlled almost all commerce in and around the city. Not to belong to a trade guild meant financial ruin. The influence of these guilds made it difficult for those who were serious about their relationship with Christ. Because membership of these guilds meant participating in the social activities of that guild. And the social activities were tied up with worship of other gods. Prayers and food were offered to other gods, and guild feasts often degenerated into drunkenness and sexual immorality. You can see how this might cause difficulties for a Christian. And yet, not joining a guild would mean possible financial disaster. What was a Christian to do? It seems that a woman named Jezebel, who appears in verse 20, was suggesting a compromise. The story of her Old Testament counterpart in 1 Kings 16 to 19 throws some light on our story. Jezebel from the Old Testament was married to King Ahab, and so she had considerable influence in the government. She persuaded King Ahab to build an altar to the god Baal in Samaria, and she influenced King Ahab to worship foreign gods. She gained the support of 850 prophets who taught her ways, and she had any prophet of Yahweh who dared to speak against her executed. Jezebel suggested that you could worship both Baal and God, even though she knew the clear teaching of Israel's prophets was, you shall have no other gods before me. So Jezebel, in the church of Thyatira, was advocating the worship of both God and Apollo. She was very persuasive and had managed to get Christians to feel that they could participate in the ungodly activities of the trade guilds without affecting their relationship with Christ. But the reality is exactly the opposite. We see in verse 19 that in spite of all the great things that were happening in the church there, they were tolerating Jezebel. That means they were tolerating compromise. And that is simply not acceptable. We can't have it both ways. It simply doesn't work. In any compromise involving Jesus, it is the relationship with him that is bound to suffer. John doesn't mince his words here. Compromise leads to spiritual weakness and eventually to spiritual death. This message to Thyatira confronts us all every day. 
Who will I follow? Jesus or the leaders of the trade guilds? Roughly translated for us, Jesus or the culture of today? Will I do as Jesus calls me to? Or will I compromise and behave as everybody else? What is most important to me? The success of my business or my career or my ministry or the vitality of my relationship with Christ? We today are not faced with the specific tension that faced the believers in Thyatira, but we still wrestle with the spirit of compromise every day. How often do we hear about striking a compromise, the things don't work that way in the real world, as though the real world does not include the real presence of Jesus Christ? Or perhaps we hear business is business, or perhaps it's just the way it is, as though saying that makes it okay. I used to work for a very large financial institution And part of my work involved validating claims for health insurance. We had a huge claim come in involving tens of thousands of pounds for someone who was legitimately insured with us. I was asked to change the date on the file, which would have meant that the claim was invalidated. When I said I wasn't able to do that, the whole office turned on me. It was just after the last big recession. Jobs weren't easy to come by. Financial institutions were struggling. And I was told, in no uncertain terms, that paying the claim could jeopardise the jobs of everyone in the office. I was told I had no understanding of how business really worked. I was in a minority of one. It was a horrible, horrible situation. And another time, as a student midwife, I was working and learning from an experienced community midwife. After my first weekend, as we were parting, having worked for three hours, the midwife told me to put eight hours down on my unsocial hours claim form. I was told it was what was expected, that we may have to put more hours in another day, and it wasn't as if we were paid a lot anyway. Clearly, if the midwife I was working with put eight hours and I put three, she would be in a very difficult position. It was another horrible situation and another situation where being a Christian was no easy option. How easy it is to be swallowed by the culture we're in. Sometimes doing the wrong thing even looks like you're doing the right thing. So how is it possible to remain loyal to our faith in society? How do we maintain the courage and grace to follow Jesus without compromise? By keeping our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. We need to keep his face before us, lose sight of who he is, and we lose the desire and the strength to remain loyal. And how do we keep his face fixed before us? Well, we're given quite a bit of help in the passage. First, the title in 2.18, the Son of God. The people of Thyatira thought Apollo and, and Caesar were the son of the high God. This is a lie. Jesus is the Son of God. As the Son of God, he is the perfect and final revelation of the unseen God. As the Son, he has been given authority over all Apollos, over all Caesars, over all trade guilds, 
over all corporations, financial institutions, colleagues and nations. We, and they, will answer to him and to no one else. Secondly, and I'm still in 2.18 here, who has eyes like a flame of fire? This image can at once terrify and comfort. His eyes are bright and radiant. His eyes pierce the darkness, flashing with penetrating insight. His eyes, like a searchlight, expose, expose all the hidden corners. He is the one who knows the deep things. As he says, all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts. Nothing we do or say or think or feel escapes his notice. The image comforts because those eyes not only penetrate and cleanse us, they love us and they shine in order to heal. His eyes pass through the surface and find us and transform us. He looks at us and through us in order to free us. There's a third image whose feet are like burnished bronze. These were the feet that had walked the earth with us. These feet are so pure and strong, they're able to tread upon all evil and trample it into nothingness. This imagery tells us that Jesus Christ means business. He's going to win. In verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she is unwilling. The one with flaming eyes and burnished feet is merciful and loving, even to Jezebel. He gave her time to come to her senses, and he gives us time. His judgments aren't hasty. He waits for our response, but he won't wait forever. And again in verse 23, I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Jesus is saying that he respects our free moral choices. In other words, choose to serve the other gods, but you will have to live with the consequences. But if we do the deeds of Jesus, we inherit the consequences of his deeds, as we are one with him in the love and joy of his Father. This is not justification by deeds. Our deeds emerge from our hearts, revealing who it is we serve. We can say the creed and sing hymns on a Sunday, but the test is how we live our lives Monday through to Saturday. True allegiance is revealed by how we treat members of our families, how we treat employees and fellow workers, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Our checkbooks are often the clearest revelation of which God it is we serve. And the last feature I want to draw out from the passage is in verses 26 and 27. To the one who overcomes and keeps my deeds until the end, I will give authority over the nations just as I have received authority from my Father. What promises? Those who belong to him will rule with him. The second promise, which comes a bit later, is just as staggering. To the one who overcomes, I will give the morning star. 
In the last chapter of the book of Revelation, Jesus refers to himself as the bright morning star. The morning star usually appears at the darkest time of the night, but when it appears, it's very faint and small at first, but you know that the night cannot withstand the dawn. It's just a matter of time until the dawn wipes the night away. The morning star pulls morning in behind it, just as certainly as Jesus pulls the kingdom in behind him. If we keep our eye on him, the bright morning star, we will remember the struggle is almost over and we will have the courage to keep following, even when it seems costly to do so. It's not easy to stand up for Christian values, but we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We have God who loves us more than we can ever understand. And as the cleaner told the theology student, we have Jesus and he's going to win. Perhaps as we sing our next song, Lord, you have my heart, we can use it as a prayer and ask Christ for a fresh vision of his love and grace to give us the strength to be different. Amen.